And 4.02, time for the classic pick of the week. And we have the wonderful Chris Carey, community volunteer, KCI volunteer, coming in, doing the research on the classic picks. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's fun. What do you got for us? Uh, yeah, so this uh, this week we're looking at uh, Junior Walker's, Junior Walker and the All-Stars Shotgun. It was his debut. Came out in 1965. Couldn't find the exact date, but I do know that the first single on that was released in February, so I think it's safe to assume it came out around at this time about 55 years ago. This album is great, in my humble opinion, and anybody that liked the vibe that you would have got by, uh, if you remember watching uh, National Lampoon's Animal House, <laughs> this this album kind of sounds like a party at Animal House. Uh-huh. It really does. And, yeah. and, and, and um, Junior Walker... He's uh, he's a tenor saxophone. He, he was hugely influential in the in the sixties. He, he was born Autry to Walt, nineteen thirty one, outside of Memphis, a little town called Blytheville, Arkansas. Uh, Junior Walker was his stage name. He started playing tenor sax in high school, and not long after that, formed his first band called the Jumping Jacks. And this th- at this time, he had moved to uh, Michigan with his family. He was playing more, and and he'd been playing for a while, and eventually he got noticed by a guy named Harvey Fuqua, who was uh, kind of he was a member of the doo-wop band from the 1950s, the Moonglows, and he had been working with a small label at that point, and about the same time he met uh, Junior Walker and started talking to him, he had moved to, to Motown, and so he got signed to Motown, and Barry Gordy was actually pretty excited to have him on the on the roster because at the time. Most of the Motown stuff was smooth and slick, and this was a little bit more raw, a little raucous and raunchy. Yeah, dare and, we and say? So, yeah, and so I mean, but Barry yeah. Gordy was he he was really happy to have them on the label. And Barry Gordy, you know, uh, for those of you who don't know, he's founded Motown Records. It started off as Tamla in 1959, and then changed to to Motown Records in 1960. And he kept Tamla on as a as a as an imprint, and occasionally, I believe a couple of Stevie Wonder records were actually released on Tamla label, as well as on you know, and then most of his records were released on Motown. Barry Gordy liked it, so he liked the 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 addition of Junior Walker to the roster so much that he wanted to produce the first record, and he co-produced it with Lawrence Horn. Lawrence Horn was the chief recording engineer at Motown Records at Hitsville, USA, where this was recorded. And Hitsville, USA was basically just two houses that had kind of, they built so they were in one kind of building. And that was the the home offices for Motown and the studios for, for Motown pretty much from 1960 through 1971 and when Motown moved to L.A. And so uh, Barry Gordy, he, uh, like I said, he produced this, and and Barry Gordy actually, on top of him being a you know record exec and, and music writer and impresario of many different you know talents or uh, pr- professions, <laughs> he also produced Diana Ross and the Supremes, The Temptations, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye. I mean, a lot of that's a uh, big list. Yeah. There. So not only did he sign these guys and help write songs, he produced a lot of their records. And Lawrence Horn, which co-produced on this. Um, like I said, he was a chief recording engineer at Motown Records. Kind of a crazy thing about him is on on top of him working with all these, you know, he he worked there at Hitsville from '60 through '71, and then later on, I I never I never knew this about the guy. And in, in 1996, he was actually arrested because he hired a hitman to kill his family. And I was like, 
that's what? yeah 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 he went so that's so the co-producer of this record and the and the lead engineer of half half of the motown catalog ended up killing his family and going to jail and he died in jail he got sentenced to life oh. i mean and so like i think that's like primed for a, a netflix special biopic right, yeah. right there yeah also a, a, a interesting thing about this album is this there are no credits on who played on this album and uh, and i think on some of the main uh, on some of the bigger singles of this record people know who played on it but they were all members of the funk brothers which was basically a collection of a 20 mid 20 something musicians that basically played all of the music for virtually every song that came out of motown they were like the house the musicians yeah they were yeah. the studio musicians yeah. and collectively together i mean they've got they've probably got more hits than any other collection of mm -hmm. musicians ever and so the musicians on this album are amazing you know not just just junior walker's saxophone but the the keyboards on this are amazing and it's kind of interesting too is that this record it came out on the motown label but it sounds like it it should have come out on the stacks label or volt i mean it's it's it has this total kind of a southern soul kind of vibe so people that are into to king curtis who we were talking about a little while ago in the studio before we came on mm -hmm. or booker t and the mgs mm -hmm. if you haven't listened to junior walker this is right down your alley i mean and and it's kind of it's the most it may this may be one of the most southern soul records that found onto the motown label commercially it did pretty good it made it into the top 100 of the of the billboard top 200 albums chart but the single the the title track shotgun actually reached number four on the billboard hot 100 singles and was number one on the billboard r&b chart so it was pretty it was pretty successful wow that was kind of yeah, crazy. Lights went lights off just and went then out. back All on right. again. It seems like we're still going. Um, it was pretty commercially successful, and it was kind of cool because this kind of sound made it to a lot of radio stations in the country because Motown got behind it. And, you know, Stax and Volt and some other smaller labels that were putting out some really interesting R&B and soul oftentimes didn't have the clout to get it on a lot of the stations that Motown did. And so because of that, that was kind of cool that this is one of those albums with this kind of, you know, Southern soul sound that made it to a little bit more mainstream, you know, uh, access than I guess some other albums may, had, had had had. Now I've heard it's like a combination of the Midwest and the Southern soul because he, you know, he was born in Michigan. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, and it, yeah, and to an extent you could argue that I, at the same time, I think we're kind of splitting atoms, but right. to me that it really, this does it, this album sounds like it could easily have come out on the stacks label for sure. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but what's really cool about this album too, is that I think this sound, particularly this record really affected a lot of what happened with funk and psych soul of the late 60s and early 70s. Like, I, I think that this album led to bands like Funkadelic and Parliament and War and Sly and the Family Stone. And I would so, agree yeah, wholeheartedly. Yeah, and so I think that that's kind of cool, too, is that yeah. this, in, this, this album did kind of influence a lot that came after it, at least for the next decade. Yeah. So, and after after this album, I mean, uh, Junior Walker went on. He he released quite a few other. I think he did twenty over his his lifetime. Uh, none of his albums kind of had. There, there's one or two other albums that he put out that had the kind of punch that this one did. But most of them didn't make the same splash that this one made. Um, in the '70s, he kind of unsuccessfully tried to transition into disco, <laughs> and that that didn't work. So he went back to kind of playing what he had, had known from the 60s and early 70s 
and he he had a he had a minor hit called Sex Pot, and then, and then he got picked up and uh, and you were mentioning this earlier that Foreigner yeah Foreigner in 1981 Woo-hoo. you know the, the Foreigner actually picked him up to play the saxophone parts in the in the song Urgent so that classic that classic uh, sax riff that everybody's heard in Urgent is Junior Walker and a well placed sax does a lot for a song. I think it really kicks up that Foreigner song, and it really reminds me of the 80s feeling of like a saxophone yeah, yeah, yeah. But vibe. And, and, and I, yeah, they do. And and I, I remember a long time ago when I was in college, I got in a fight with a, or a discussion with a friend of mine <laughs> who was like, saxophone's not rock and roll. And I'm like, oh, I beg to differ. Tell that to David Bowie or Roxy Music yeah, or yeah. half a dozen other Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Like, no, it's very rock and roll. Yes, yeah. agreed. Agreed.